Let us pray. Oh Lord, we come to you today and we bow deeply before you. It always takes us a moment to think about what we are doing in this building. It's called a worship service. But we know beyond all of the things that we are doing, there's a mighty God who all of this is directed to. Sadly, we many times look and don't see beyond everything that's happening here. We listen to the music and maybe to the words spoken, but sometimes forget that it's all about you. We apologize, O Lord, that we are so busy with ourselves in our own worlds that we do not always see the, the person who we are here to worship. So I come this morning and I ask, O Lord, that you will help us as I need to address quite an interesting topic today to help us also grasp the truth of God's Word to us in 2023 in this church. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your Word, your Holy Spirit to guide us, to help us understand what you want us to know. But thank you most of all for the cross that stands next to me in the building that reminds us of mercy and grace and salvation. Amen. For most things in life, we need at least some basic knowledge. You know, you can look very cool in your car, but the fact that you can look as if you are cool and you're driving the thing doesn't mean that you have any sense of what you are doing. You know, to be able to drive a car, at least you need to know something about the vehicle and about the rules of the road. Uh, maybe most people in Orlando are a little bit like this guy that's in the car. Uh, they look cool, but they have no clue what they are doing, but that's, that's beyond of it. To bake a cake, you need to have some knowledge. You need to know about the ingredients, about the oven and temperature and time. Sadly, uh, we were in South Africa, Luis were already back here. Their flight got completely canceled last week on Saturday. They were supposed to be here on Sunday, and they heard their flight is canceled. They got here on Tuesday, and we were still stuck there until Thursday when we flew out, and I had to cook for people that came over, and I called Luis. I said, you, remind me, you need to remind me now how to make grits, because grits is sort of a staple thing there sometimes for us, and I couldn't remember everything that I need to do. So I needed some knowledge just to do this. That's true of many things in our life, that for the, us to be able to get through life, we need to understand and have knowledge of certain things. Today, I've got a very complicated topic that I need to deal with here, a topic that you will find in the Heidelberg Confession. I'm continuing with my series. I just took a three-week sort of gap between what I started to do because I can't step away from this book at this point because we need to work through it a little bit more. This book is meant for us to understand something about God's involvement in our lives. And I said, to this, said, said something about this when I started this series. It was written not only for the people in 1563, but it was also written for people in 2023 that's trying to understand then God's plan for us and God's purposes with us. And these guys started off with a question. They started off with a question. They said, 
what is it that you need? What is your biggest comfort in life and in death? And I preached about this for almost three weeks. And the word comfort there meant what is the thing that will bring you peace about your life and about living that will give meaning to your life and who you are? What is it? And the answer that I preached about for a while said eventually that you understand that you belong to God and that he has your life in his hand and that God is, is the answer. That's it. But how do I get it? So the next question is, how many things must you know that you may live and die in the blessedness of this comfort? Or then what do you need to know to receive eternal life? You see, most of the things that we talk about in this world that we need to understand and how to, to deal with has to do with the here and now. This question has to do with your eternal salvation. This question has to do with, with, with actually everything that surrounds what we are doing in this church. On the one hand, we know that Jesus is the answer, that God is the answer. That's cool. We, we talked about this for a long time. But the fact that he's the answer doesn't mean that I've got it. What do I need to know that I may say that I've got it? Then we find the answer. There are three things that they found when they started to page through the Bible. The first one is the greatness of my sin and wretchedness. Second one, how I'm freed from all my sin and the wretched consequences. And then the third one, what gratitude I owe to God for such redemption. These are the three things that you and I need to understand fully to be able to get this comfort that God wants me to have. So I'm going to look at only the first one today, the greatness of my sin and wretchedness, because as you page through the Heidelberg Confession, you'll find that all the other questions after this one deals, I think there's like nine questions that deal with this number one. So I'm going to cover the whole topic then today and not move on to the second one. That's next week. We will get to that one. To know the greatness of my sin and my wretchedness. This is the problem today, isn't it? People do not want to hear about sin. People do not want to hear about the fact that certain things in their lives are not right or not correct. People want, do not want to be reprimanded. People do not want to be corrected. The moment when you correct someone, they are extremely upset with you. You honk when a guy sits asleep at the, at the streetlight. He's upset with you because you reminded him he's supposed to drive because the light is now green. Because people want to be left alone that they can do whatever they want. We have this mindset that uh, we can trust ourselves completely in, in, in what we do. There's this worldview in a sense that exists in all of us that people say, well, we're supposed to be self-made people in a sense that you are supposed to build yourself up and do with this life whatever you can. And in a sense, you've got it. And I don't need help. You don't come and tell me what I need to do. I know what I need to do and what I need in life. To all the wives in this building and watching online, try to get your husband to a doctor. They won't go. I don't need to go and see the doctor. I've been falling over for two or three weeks, but I think I'm fine. I just need to drink more water. That's all. Who needs a doctor now? How many people 
have relationships that's falling apart, and then the wife come and see me and say, things are not well with me and my husband. I said, well, bring him and let's have a chat. He will never come because he will never allow anyone to get involved in our relationship. And eventually there's a trick. I'm not going to tell you the trick, otherwise it won't work on you. But, but there's a trick. There's a trick how I many times get these guys to come and see me. It's, it's a, there's a trick. It works like a charm. I always get in my office. It's, it's a trick that I've used for many years. And eventually when I start to talk to these guys, I said to, I said to them, I apologize that we are here and we talk about your relationship. And I, I would say to them, I know it's very uncomfortable for you. And they would say, oh, yes. I said, because I know you do not want anyone to tell you how to live your life with your wife. And they always say yes. I'm supposed to know. I'm supposed to be able to, to, to do it. You drive in your car, you hear a sound, and you hope it will go away because you believe it will go away and it seldom goes away. So at the end of the day, we live like people who say, why do I need to go to a hospital if I'm not sick? Why do I need to come for help if I don't think I need any help? I've worked with alcoholics a lot in South Africa. There's a lot of people that had alcohol problems there, way more than I think here in America. And I remember you can, you can drop a guy off at a rehab center and he will be back at home within a week after he was released and be back on, 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 on alcohol. Except on the day when that guy calls you and says, I need help. I remember one guy that we struggled with for years and years and years, and one evening he called me like at 9 p.m. at night, and he was sober. He said, Ferdy, I need help. And I said, I'm there. Tonight I'm going to take you where you need to be because he understood that he was in trouble. And only when you understand you are in trouble, you can be helped. As long as you believe there's nothing wrong with you, then why do you need a doctor? Why do you need rehab? Why do you need anyone to get involved in your lives? That's why so many people drive past this church this morning and don't even give this building a second thought. Do you know how many churches we have in a one-mile radius around us? I think like 12. No, some of them are better attended like, uh, uh, than, uh, than others. We are okay here. But if you think how many people live in our area and how many people actually attend a worship service on a Sunday, it's a fraction of a percentage. And I always ask myself, why is it that people are not interested in God? It's because they don't believe they need God, because they don't think they believe they they need help, and they don't think they are in trouble. That's why they ignore God. That's why there's no place for God. And then the other one that I hear a lot is the fact that people would easily say, well, you know, I do not know why you tell me that I'm doing things wrong because I'm actually a good person. That is what we all want to believe. I have never murdered anybody that I know of. I'm not really, I'm not a robber. I don't steal. I think I'm kind. I think I'm sort of okay-ish, except if people tick me off and then it's all their fault. It's not my fault, but otherwise I'm okay. You know, there's the story of these two old ladies that were sitting in a worship service and the pastor was preaching about sin and he preached about the sin of stealing. And they said, go pastor, go. And he preached about the sin of uh, whatever, something else. And they said, yes, amen, pastor, yes. And eventually he preached about the sin of gossip. And they were silent. And then one sort of elbowed the other lady and she said, you know, he's not preaching anymore, he's now meddling. I'm a good person. I've heard many times in my life. 
I've asked people, do you think you are saved? Yes. Why? Why do you think you are saved and that you are going to go to heaven because I'm a good person? And I would say, kindly, but define them good to me. And they would say to me, well, I don't think I do that much wrong. I don't think, you know, that I do anything every day that can harm anyone or maybe harm God. I think I'm okay. And God becomes irrelevant. Paul discovered something different when he started to listen to what God was also teaching him through the Holy Spirit. Because he had to write a letter to the congregation in Rome. And the congregation in Rome was really sort of a, a mature congregation. The congregation in Corinth was sort of like teenagers. They were wild. They were doing all kinds of weird things. And they were here and there and all over the place. But the congregation in Rome was a mature group of people. And he's never been there. And he had to sort of direct them about God's grace and God's kindness, about life and living and, and the gospel story. And he wrote this. He says, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. Paul said, I keep on doing now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body? as I am a subject of death. I can't talk about sin and about my life, and I'm talking about 30 now, before God, if I do not think about God for a, for a moment. The problem with sin and myself is the fact that, that I compare myself to people. Maybe in comparison to the guys that I see at, uh, on the news at 10 p.m. at night, I'm fine. I'm fine. Maybe if I look at the people I sometimes read about in the newspapers and what they do and how corrupt they are, then maybe I'm fine. So if I compare myself to certain groups of people that are really evil, then I can say, okay, I'm okay. I'm a good person. But the Bible tells me never to compare myself to other people. The Bible tells me to look at God because he's the one that determines who I am. And the problem is that in this world that we have now lived, people have redefined God. And what they've done with God is they've made God a small God. They've made God a God that you can actually move around to fit where you would like him to fit. God needs to get his act together and needs to straighten his head out and needs to fit into our culture. If he doesn't fit into our culture, God, we've got no place for you anymore. We determine what's right or wrong then for God and he needs to fit into our understanding of how it should be. But what does the Bible teaches us? The Bible teaches us that we are sitting in this building today or watching online, and we are worshiping the God who created everything. You know, when they, when they um, launched the Hub telescope, Hub, Hubble telescope the first time, I was amazed at what they saw. Now with James Webb up there, I'm even more amazed to the creation that we can see out there. 
Last week, uh, actually, yeah, last week, we were still, a friend of mine has a place in the middle of the African bushveld. The bushveld is a place where all the animals are, a huge area. And on this place that we were, there are all these kind of animals I mentioned earlier. You don't hear a sound there. There's nothing. You're completely off the grid. Actually, I went for a sort of a short run. You can hear your heartbeat. It's so quiet. And at night, there's no light. And we looked at the stars in the southern hemisphere. You can see way different stars than you see in the northern hemisphere. Sadly, the Milky Way was down to the east. We couldn't see it behind a mountain. But the Milky Way normally in the winter is right over your, over your head. And the Milky Way will throw enough light that you can walk around if it's a dark moon. The amount of stars there are. And we were standing outside, and I was pointing to Eddie and to, to Kate and the others, some of the stars. Finally, I had an app, and we could look at some of the stars. It's so brilliant there. Who made those things? The God that we believe in. And that's the problem. If you live in the city, you don't look up enough. If you live in the city, you don't see what's above you enough. If you live in the city, the only screen you have is your computer screen, your phone screen, your TV screen, your windshield that you look through. But the screen that surrounds us, that actually declares the glory of God, becomes invisible to us. And therefore, it's very easy to make this God a small God, but he's a big God. And now the Bible comes and tells me that we are dealing here with the creator of all. God is the God of heaven and earth. And this God is the one that has all the power and might because through a word he could create the earth and the sun and the moon. If I think about God, I'm on my knees almost. And I ask myself, as the psalmist said, David said, because he was out in the nature and he saw the sky above his head, he said, who am I, O God, that you even consider me to think about me? So the God that we worship is not one of us. The God that we worship is a holy God. And what does holy mean? Holy means different, separate. Holy means that God declares what ethical rules he applies to himself and to this creation of his. God is the one that determines what's right or wrong, what's black or white, what's good or bad for us, but also then for him. If we say that God is sinless, it means that God is the ultimate person who decides whatever is good or right for him. And whatever is good or right for him, I can't question because he's God. Isaiah says, how can I start to question my creator? How can I look up up at him and say, but you've lost your way, God. You need to look at what we are doing and you need to fit into our program and our plan and it's all fine. God has given us everything that we need for life and living. And God has a right to ask us to obey him. And that's where a lot of people stumble. Because they are always sort of wrestling with God a little bit. By saying, God, why do I need to listen to you? Why is it that I need to care for the things that you are telling me in this whole book that we've got in your hands? This thing is actually God saying, this is who I am. And this is why I would like you to understand about me and how I would like you to live your life. And now it's easy to say, well, God, I think you have no clue. You know, the things that you are telling me was maybe applicable in the year 5000 BC, but how can it be still applicable in 2023? And God says, I tell you, it's in my book and it's applicable. Who am I to question what God is telling me and tell God it's now outdated? If he wants me to know it's outdated, he will send me a new letter from heaven. I promise you he will. 
He has not done yet that yet for all of us. So that's the reality of who God is. So now the, boy, the guys in the Heidelberg Catechism come and they say, so, so where do you learn of your sin and its rich consequences? And then the answer is from the law of God. And the law of God is God's word for us. And when God says, I want you to know who I am and what I do and what, what I want you to do, that is God's will. And what is it that God asks of us? That's the next question I'd look at uh, confession. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The greatest and first commandment. Second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, everything, everything that's in the Bible. You see, if you look at the priority list that God gives us, He's supposed to be at the top of everything in our life, and then your spouse, and then your children, and then your reputation, and then your ministry. Now, if I look at my life, Ferdy's life, many times my ministry is way at the top, and God is even below my ministry because I'm working so hard that I sometimes do not have time to pray enough. I sometimes struggle to have enough time to read Bible for myself, and therefore I do it in the morning when I wake up. Because sometimes my day will pass, and I, I read a lot, but that's to, to preach. But I also need to read for myself. You see, if you take this triangle, you start to break it up, it, it turns into a mess. Because this triangle only works when it looks like this. But if you take the small top part that says God, you put it at the bottom, this triangle won't be able to stand because it's now balanced, unbalanced. And sadly, that's what's happening with us in our life that we are now surrounded, is that people have completely either removed God or they placed Him way at the bottom of their lives, and now everything is un unbalanced, and nothing wants to be the way it should be. So God gave us a very good direction of how we should live our lives, and, and He says, I should be furthermost the most important one in your life every moment of every day. I think about God in the morning when I go for my run, and then sometimes when I go to bed at night. I'm talking about myself now, because I'm busy. Busy with my life and my children and, and, and the work that I need to do in this congregation, and that, according to the will of God, is not always right. Also, I should give Him way more praise and recognition through my day. Maybe on my way to work, I should say, thank you, God, that I have a work. Maybe as I brush my teeth, I should say, thank you, Lord, for the water in this faucet, and thank you that I have teeth that I can brush. Lord, thank you that I have health and that I've got all of these things. And maybe when I'm in my office, I should thank the Lord that I have a computer in front of me that actually works. And Lord, thank you for people that care for me and I can make money. You see, I'm so busy with what I've done that I think it's all mine. God can take it away like this, and it's gone. And maybe we should start to recognize who he is. And because we are not doing this, we are actually sinful people. So the honest answer on this question is, can you keep all of this perfectly? No, for by nature I'm prone to hate God and my neighbor. To be very honest, and I must tell you this, so I'm driving along and now suddenly there's a sermon coming up on the radio. Do I continue to listen to this sermon or do I look for a radio station with great music? I look for the music sometimes. Yeah, I'm honest. I'm honest. And sometimes when there's certain things happening, we were in South Africa and there's a radio station, they start to play some sermon in the background. I said, please, we can't listen to this sermon now. We've got stuff to do. So I turned off the sermon and we did our things that we had to do. That's who we are, even the pastor. 
that sometimes you turn away from what God is trying to tell you because you are busy with life and with living. Were we created with a flaw? You know, you know, Usinus and these and, and who wrote this Heidelberg Confession, they, they, they knew what we were going to ask. Because I've had so many people say to me, well, if God wanted me to be good, he would have created me perfect. God built into me the flaw that makes me a broken person. It's all his fault. So God now becomes the, the reason for me not acting the way that God wants me to act. And they knew we were going to ask this question, so they come up. Did God create man evil and perverse like this? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image, but in his true righteousness and holiness, that we might rightly know God, his creator, love him with all our heart, and live with him in eternal blessed praising, and all of that. You can read this. So where then does this corruption of human nature come from? From the fallen disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. Hereby our human life is so poisoned that we are all conceived and born in the state of sin. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, in this way death came to all people because we all have sinned. I've many times thought, you know, if Adam and Eve would have just gone on a diet and not ate that apple, it would, apple, it would have been fantastic. I, see, I started to speak Afrikaans now. If they would have just left the apple, it would have been fine, wouldn't it? You see, but it's not about the apple. It was not an apple. It's just a mix of words. In Latin, malus and malum. Malus is sin and malum is apple. And they started to mix the two and said it was an apple, but actually just tells it was a fruit. It had nothing to do with an apple or a fruit. It had to do with listening to God. And that's a choice that not only Adam and Eve had, but we also have. I many times when I wake up in the morning, say to myself, I'm a little bit like Adam and Eve now. They were in the garden. I'm not in the garden, but I stand before God with the same question. Am God going to be my God today or not? That's the question. And before I'm out of bed, I have failed to make God the God who he's supposed to be for his, his might and his power and his presence. So I can't always blame them for the fact that I'm a sinful person because in a sense I'm making the same wrong decision as they have they did. But are we perverted that we are altogether unable to do good and prone? Yes, unless we are born again through the Spirit of God. Is not God unjust in requiring of man this law that he cannot do? No, God created us to do it. But man, upon instigation of the devil, deliberate disobedience has cheated himself and his descendants into this gift. Now, I spoke about this for a moment. My second last slide. And then it gets even worse. Will God let man get by with such disobedience and defection? Not. No. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven, both against inborn sinfulness of our actual sin, and he will punish them according to the righteous judgment in time and in eternity, as he declared, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law, and to do them. A few comments about this. You know, people look at God and they think they've got the right to live. God, you must be happy to have me. I'm such a great person. God, God, you must be really impressed with what I've done and how cool I am and all the things that I've accomplished in my life. Then people die. I think way more people are going to be uh, declared dead in Turkey and Syria than we know now. If you saw those buildings collapse, it's impossible that only where there are 28,000, I don't know. 
So we always look at these things and say, God, why did you allow all of these people to die? Women, children, babies, men, whatever. All of those people just died. God, you should allow all of these people to live. We've got the right to live, and we've got the right for all of these things. The Bible tells us the opposite. The Bible tells us it's a privilege to be able to be alive. The Bible tells us and teaches us there's nothing that we can bring to God's table that can impress Him. God doesn't even need to allow us to be alive on this planet because what we have done is we have corrupted everything and broken everything that He has given us. We have destroyed everything that's good and great that He has given us. We have ignored Him. We have turned away from Him. We have, we've killed others. We have caused so much harm and pain. God says, I may wipe you off this planet and it has nothing to do with you. I don't care. I am God. It's by my will that you have life and living. And if you lose it, you can't complain because you're not even supposed to have it. Because what you have is a gift from me. That's what people do not want to hear. You see, I want to be in control, and I want to tell God, you're not supposed to let people die. You're not supposed to do this. And God says, Ferdy, you've got no right to be even alive. It's by my choice, my love, and my grace that I've given you the breath that you have to breathe. Because look who I am and who you are. What have you done to impress me? Nothing. Nothing. Because your whole life is in a sense outside of who I am and you're not recognizing me for who I am. But why then do God allow people to live? Because there's always hope. But is God not also merciful? God indeed is merciful, gracious, but also righteous. And His righteousness, which requires that sin committed against the supreme majesty of God be punished with extreme, that is, with eternal punishment, body and soul. Let me just drink water. What does this last answer say? Of course. And that's what I'm going to start with. Next week is way lighter than today. It's at least about now salvation, the second thing. What today is telling us. If you think you are okay with God and you don't need that cross, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. If you think you can get through to God by just doing a few great things and helping a lady cross the street or, 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 or giving money to people poor or whatever, you are in trouble. That doesn't impress God. There's only but one way back to salvation and back to the God, and that's to the solution that Jesus Christ brought to us. That's God's answer to our wretchedness and our sin and the fact that we desperately need a hospital. And the hospital is the tomb and then the resurrection. And that's what the Bible tells us constantly that people do not want to know. People think, well, when I die, it's all just gone and it's nothing. The Bible tells me if you die without God, you will be without God for eternity because that is your choice. Hell is not a place that God created and he put a fire in there and a big worm to, to gnash on your toes. Hell is the ultimate consequence of your own choice. I live my life without God. God says, then you will go to a place where I'm not for eternity. Because that's what you want, isn't it? My will for you is to be with me. Therefore, I sent my son to come and die for you that you may find your way back to me. If you choose to be with me, you can be with me for eternity as my child. But do not think that I would change my mind because of your culture and your understanding of how life should be. 
Because God is God, and God can do whatever He wants. And today I'm preaching you not what I think, how it should be, but how God tells us it will be. And I'm sorry for this message. That's not an easy one to hear, but I promise you it's a biblical one. South Africa is a complicated country, and I end with this. We had sometimes up to six hours no power during a 24-hour period because of a government that's completely corrupt. As somebody said, we've got a band of robbers that came into our, into our country. They can't rule. They can't govern. The go- country of South Africa was a bit like America. Everything worked. We had a fantastic postal service, railway system, the roads perfect, very modern. The roads are gone. You can't always drink the water. You need to buy water now. The power is almost shot. Everything is, the, the, air, the, the air, air, airways doesn't exist anymore. The railway system is shot. We were exposed to people that can't govern because they were part of a, a liberation movement. They were warriors and not governors that came in and did whatever they wanted to with respect now. I can't tell them what to do because they don't care. They are destroying what this country was to break it down to nothing. Who am I to tell God how he should govern? If I can't even tell the guys in our country how to govern. God is God. And he will do what he wants to do, but at least with God we've got someone that is filled with love and grace and mercy, but Don't try to change his character because he's God. Amen.